0: I'm just glad that no one takes a video of me that close up. (laughs) Wow. Well, good morning again. Good to see everybody this morning. Before we get to our morning message, I'd like to take a few minutes and pray for our country and our leaders. Franklin Graham has called today, he's called the churches nationwide to pray for our leaders, to pray for our nation. And I think that's a good idea for us to join in with the Christians all around the country and pray for those who lead us. You know, the Bible instructs us in First Timothy 2. It says, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings, for all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly, and dignified in every way. This is good, it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. You know, we live in a very divisive political world here in America. And really, no matter what you or I think of our leaders, whether we like them or not, whether we voted for them or not, Whether we like their policies, whether we march in demonstrations against their policies, all of that is good here in America. And we're called to pray for them. I think especially if we don't like them, pray for them. Pray that God will meet them. You know, I pray for people that I see walking down roads that I think are ungodly, and I pray and I say, God, wake them up in the night. Meet them in their prayers. May they just go to sleep and encounter Jesus, who speaks to them about the decisions they're making. I am convinced that most of our leaders in America, most of them think they're trying to fight for something good. They're oftentimes misguided, but they, I mean, politics is a tough road. I look at some of these people, I think, who would want the job? I mean, it's a tough place up there. So we need to pray for our leaders. Pray for our nation. Pray that God will reveal himself to the leaders who make decisions that affect our life and the direction that our nation is going. They need our prayers. In the Bible, I want to just go back to that verse that says, This is good and pleasing to God, our Savior. So can we stand for a moment and pray for our nation? Father God, you are the King of kings, you are the Lord of lords, you are the God over all the nations. That means you're the God over America. And this morning we want to join together to lift the United States of America to your throne. God, have mercy on us, forgive us of our sins. God, we pray for those who would lead this nation, those who would be in positions, our our governor. Our senators, our congressmen and women, our our president, God, we pray that the fear of God would be upon each of their hearts and that, God, the humility that would say, I am incapable of leading as I should. We need the Lord. Father, forgive us when we try to think we want to push you aside to lead independently of your will and your ways. God, have mercy upon our nation. We bless our leaders. We ask God that you would help us in these days. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen, you may be seated. Any followers of Jesus this morning? Bah! I just thought I think it's great that God called us sheep. Not a high compliment, folks. He realizes that as sheep, we need a Savior. We need a shepherd. We need a leader. And for the last couple or last week, we started our summer series on what it is or how a disciple of Christ is made. Talked about following, that we're called to follow Christ. Say, follow me. Follow me. That's what Christ speaks to you. He says, follow me. And I asked you the question, where did Jesus lead you this week? Did you hear his voice in anything? Sometimes I think we just think random thoughts. We don't realize that Christ is speaking to us. Where did you follow Jesus this week? I asked myself that question. One of the interesting things I found out is that normally the places where he led me were places that I wasn't thrilled about going. Because I still have this thing called my flesh and selfishness and I found the Lord leading me in ways and I was a little more aware of it as the week went on just a couple examples as I was thinking about this I was in a conversation where I felt myself getting defensive and wanted to defend my own opinion and I heard the Lord speak to me and say mm-hmm. listen don't talk listen Whew. okay okay Follow Jesus. As you know, my mother's walking through a tough physical time. She's in bed all day. And I felt, you know, I go by and stop, but I kind of stop as I'm on my way to that next important thing I do. And I felt the Lord say, sit. Spend time. And I'm thinking, but I've got something. I don't know what. I have something to do. And the Lord said, just be here with her. Trying to follow Jesus. Um, last night I went to a ballet where the Ulrich daughter was dancing this beautiful ballet with a whole lot of wonderful other young ladies went to saw a ballet and we got there paid for the tickets and we got there and by a small mistake my wife had purchased these tickets but she purchased them for the afternoon show and it was evening So we got there, someone was in our seats, until we figured out, oh, we missed that showing. I don't know about you, but you know, you show up, you get there, you say, hey, buddy, you're in my seat. And he goes, no, I'm really not. And then you go, oh, it's me. And you know, in those moments, I wish I was that perfect husband where grace just abounded. And I just kind of, and you know, here's what the Lord spoke to me, shut up. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't get the full, hey, Kent, it's really a good idea. Just, I just get, you know, just straight out. And I, I did pass that test. I just... And you know what happened? She went back to the counter, said, oh, I made this horrible mistake. I, we missed our show, and we, our seats are taken, because the place was packed out. And they said, oh, we have these two extra tickets that somebody just turned in they can't use, and we got much better seats right in the middle. And I didn't have to repent. And it was a great day. And you know sometimes, so following Jesus to me was as complicated as, shut up. Where did Jesus lead you? So my discovery, really, the discovery was not that I shouldn't speak harshly, but the discovery was that Jesus often leads us in places that are hard for our flesh. There's something of our flesh that says, do this, and Jesus says, I have a different direction for you. Either go somewhere or stop. Jesus talks about that where he says, if anyone would follow after me, let him take up his cross daily. I don't think anybody likes taking up a cross. Take up your cross daily and follow me. And I believe that this morning, that God's given me a word for us, as a church. And so for me to follow Christ is to preach that word that He's given me. And my invitation to you would be I believe the Lord would say, open your heart to what God has for me this morning. And if you find yourself being defensive towards something I say, maybe just lower those defenses and let the Lord speak to our hearts today. So in last week's message, we talked about Christ calling some disciples, the four initial disciples, fishermen. And he says, follow, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me. And the way I perceived it is that these guys are walking along carrying the junk of their life. They're walking along, they've got their hurts, they've got their way of thinking, they've got their backpack on, and Christ initially calls them to come be on. I'm back on. Okay. We can flex. All right, I'm going to turn this off here so we don't double up. Come be with me. Because he knew that they had to learn to think different. And one of the things as we learn, as we follow Christ, we find out that there are things of our life that we need to drop off. Sometimes things that we would like to hold on to. Things that are, are precious to us. But as we follow Christ, Christ wants us to be with him so that we learn to think differently. We learn to act differently. We learn to believe differently. And so the first thing he said was follow me, not just go do things. I think as Christians, sometimes we think that following Jesus simply means doing things for him. And that is a part of it. But that first step is is coming to be with him, to worship him, to spend time in his presence. And I think there are some among us that would just love nothing more than to spend their whole life right there. To go to the mountaintop, spend time with your Bible, your journal, time of worship. How many of you would just go, that would just be fantastic. Just give me time alone with Jesus, worshiping in his presence. And let me say very clearly, I am not mocking that. To the contrary, we need more of that. We need more time with him. It's not enough to say, well, I believe in these things and I'm going to live a good life and follow him. Jesus wants us to walk with him. Like this little video said, to learn to hear his voice. The voice that leads and guides us each day. To learn to walk. We don't want to be any of us. We don't want to get to heaven's gate and hear, I never knew you. That's a verse that puts the fear of God in all of us. It's not you never served me. It was I never knew you. We want to know the Lord. That following him means entering into relationships so that everything we do for him flows out of that love and that relationship and that knowledge of him. Follow me. But the second part of that is, and I will make you fishers of men. I will give you a purpose and a call and a job to do, a task to do because it's not enough to simply love Jesus. That's absolutely fantastic and essential. But then God gives us a task. And what is that task? Well, we see in John 14, verse 15. Well, before that, Mark... 9:13 He went up on the mountainside and called to him those whom he desired. He said, "Follow me." And they came to him, and he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him. So we got that first part down, right? Christ wants to be with you. To drop off the the baggage, to drop off the sins, to drop off the things that hold us back. He wants to clean us up. He wants to fill us and empower us with the Holy Spirit. And then he wants to give us purpose. And he says here that he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. John 14, 15 takes this or summarizes this to me and he says, if you love me you will keep my commandments. It's interesting. If you love me Pardon me. If you love me, we're going to go hang out together. If you love me, we're just—you're going to be a great worshiper. All that's true, but Jesus says, "If you love me, you will obey me." My Kent Norell revised version Bible says, "If you are following me and we're in relationship, and you love me, do as I say. Obey." Say obey with me. Obey. Or in our vernacular today, just do it. Obey. Your take home this morning is one word. Obey. Now, let me just tell it very clearly. Obey or obedience is not a popular American concept. Just the word makes us bristle. How dare you? Obey. I mean, maybe for dogs. Maybe. Maybe. But not for people. I think we put obey in the four-letter word category. It's a bad word. We think I am mindless? I can think for myself. I don't obey anybody. Let me ask you, who do you obey? Try to answer that question. You. Who do you obey? Well, I think about cops. Well, in today's society, oh no, we can't obey cops because they could be dirty, they could be bad, they could be so it's a lot of disobedience towards cops. It's a whole another. I'm not please don't send me emails on that one. Um, I love and respect our our policemen, our policewomen. But obedience is tougher. How about airline officials? I was just reading about a guy smoking on a non-smoking flight. Guy comes up, tells him to put it out. He's blowing smoke in the face of the attendant. Obey, obedience? No, no. How about our teachers? The authority of our teachers. My son Benjamin is a big man. Big built, looks like Duck Dynasty kind of beard, you know. He's a big guy, and he's got an eighth-grade student who's doing something to hall, and Ben walks up and says, hey, um, excuse me, what's going on? Nice, kind, polite. Eighth-grade kid turns around, just kind of leans into Ben and says, what the blankety-blank is it to you? And I'm thinking, wow. Wow, this is a teacher and an adult, and that's the response. Obedience, it's not very common. How about pastors? I think. thinking, well, how about pastors? He goes, oh, man. Now, I am not about to set up a new rule here at church. But I do realize that pastors, we'll talk in generic form, they kind of have the, they have the authority to suggest or motivate or invite. But obey, oh, no, no, God forbid. Um, how about parents? I, was, I saw a little clip the other day, and the, on the show, they're recommending that you ask permission of your baby to change their diaper. It's our own body. We must be respectful. So I say, I thought, what happens if they say no? <laughs> you know, you got a kid. He, you go, do I have permission? I, no, no. You're the parent. Be a parent. Care for your children. Now, maybe in the military, that may be one of our bastions where obedience is still common. In the Dominican Republic, where we lived for Twenty five years. Every year we had a team from West Point. The West Point Christian cadets would come to the Dominican Republic. I loved that team. They mean you got first of all you got thirty people, young men, young women, some of the cream of the crop, and they'd walk in our door. I remember I'd say, How was your flight? Good sir, thank you, sir, thank you. And they go, Just put your bags upstairs. Yes, sir, thank you, sir. I thought, I like these guys. I mean, I don't know, it was just refreshing. So we'd take our I'd bring my boys. My boys always help with the teams, and I'd have my boys come hang out with these guys, and I'd say, you know, we got to hang out more with these guys. (laughs) You know, let's practice that a little bit around home. You know, hey, Josh, yeah, and they go, yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah, right, like, yeah, that's good for those guys, Dad, but that's. uh, um." And why did I want my children to learn to say even yes, sir, to me? Power trip. Want to present my perfect children as the missionary? No, no. Really, my motivation for them was I believe that it was healthy for them to understand how to obey and submit to godly authority in their life. That doesn't mean be mindless. It just means that a respect and a submission to godly authority is something that then can transfer to being obedient to God and his ways. But in order to, as I say this, I know I'm stirring things in people. That's all right. In order to obey someone, there has to be a trust. There has to be a trust that that person is acting in your favor and that you trust their judgment. So one of the challenges with obeying Christ is my question, do you trust him? Do you trust his ways in your life? Do you believe that his commandments are for your good? And I really believe that if we had proper understanding, we would say the laws of God are my delight. Because we'd say these laws bring me life. A wise child would say to their parents, Tell me the rules that will bring me life. I don't know if I've ever heard that before. But a wise child, a, kid, a father would say, don't cross the street. You tell a kid that, and the first thing you do is they walk right up to the edge of the curb and put their toes over the edge. It's like, well, but dad, look over there. They're my friends or the store. Or... And the reason a parent says don't cross the street is because they love their children. And they don't want their children to be hit by the car. And so they make rules to protect them because they love and care for them. And if we really grasp that, if we understood it, we would look for the laws and the commandments of Christ because we'd say, this is how God designed me. And he knows how I work best. And so I want to embrace and run after his commandments to me. But we say things like, "So we read." Let me just say, "If you love me, how many love Jesus?" Put a keep a hand up for a minute, and then he says, "Okay, if you love me, obey me." Hands can slowly go down. Our, our, you put your, hands, your hands kind of go. Obey me, and then we kind of move from this to this you go whoa, whoa whoa wait wait just a minute and we, in effect we say something like okay jesus i i hear that you're asking something of me but before i obey you must present your case for my evaluation explain your reasons to me explain how much it's going to cost me how long it's going to take Let me know what others may think or say about me if I do this. What will I get out of it? What benefit, cost ratio will this be to me? And when I've understood all of that, then, praise the Lord, then I'll make a decision whether I want to obey you or not. And Jesus doesn't give us all that. He's never given me all that. He just says, follow me. If you love me, obey me. Because the other really isn't obedience. The other really is where we're becoming the judge of Christ and his commandments to us. The scripture says in Acts 10.42 that Christ commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. I think that's pretty much everybody, right? You're either alive or you're dead. And Jesus is the judge of the living and the dead, not you, not me. Praise the Lord for that. He is the judge, and we're called to love him and to obey. And like I said, he doesn't pull any punches. He says in Matthew sixteen twenty four, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now, I imagine there's someone out there listening today who says, well, Kent, that's legalism. You're just just making a long list of rules. Well, first of all, I didn't make any list. Second of all, hear me very clearly. This does not bring you salvation. Your salvation is upon the sacrifice of Christ, It's based upon faith in Christ. You don't do all these things so that you can be saved, clearly, Right? Here, secondly, that the only way we can accomplish any of these things is through the power of the Holy Spirit. Your flesh won't get you there. Your best efforts, one of the beauty of Christ is that you find out that your best efforts fall short. We are sinful people. We are, we are like sheep that go our own way. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to do anything good for God. So this is not about earning your salvation, or working your way to heaven. But the scripture is clear. If you love me, obey me. Boy, we still wrestle with that, don't we? That word obedience is a challenge for us. So I was looking and saying, Lord, what? Okay, obey me. What have you asked of me? And I was doing some research this week and came upon 49 different commandments of Christ. And it kind of depends on how you look at some of these scriptures. I'm sure there's you could categorize them differently, but there is a long list, and I've taken 10 to quickly highlight for us this morning. There's many more, but 10 things. And when I looked at this, um, at the list, it's a little bit daunting. And it reminded me of, I just had my annual physical this week. I'm in good health, praise the Lord. And the doctor ask a lot of questions. They take some blood. They check your blood pressure. They look at your eyes. They look at your skin. They're they're asking questions about history. They're going through a checklist to say, are you healthy? Are there any areas of concern? And then the doctor handed me this printout, like a five-page printout, and he said, here's some really good things that I've found in my life for your health. These things will make a difference in your life. Do them. And I could say, huh, who do you think you are? Doctor? Who do you think you are? How dare you? I don't hardly know you. How dare? You know, he said, you should eat a handful of nuts every day. It, it increases your life expectancy by, and I thought, wow, that's pretty easy, right? So the easy ones, okay, I can, I can eat some almonds every day. That's great. Then he wants 150 minutes of aerobic activity every week. Whoa, hang on. That's going to be a life altering. By my defense. And and really, that's what Jesus is doing in the scriptures. He's saying, this brings you life. This is how I've created you to live. My heart and passion is that we'd be people of abundant life. That our families would work well. That our relationships would be healthy. that, That our bodies would be healthy. That our finances would be healthy. That we would be people walking in the health that God has created us to walk in. I'm not saying it's easy, but I am saying this is how God's created us. So let's, when you feel your defenses going up to something that God has commanded to you, be aware of that and say, why am I defending myself against something that Christ is asking of me? So here they are. Ready? I'm just going to give you 10 this morning quickly. Number one. Repent. It's a great place to start in life. If you're going down a direction and you find the Lord speaking something differently to you, repent means turn around. Go the other direction. It's very clear where he says in verse Matthew four seventeen, Jesus began to preach, and how did he start off? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. A while ago, I preached the message, change or die. If you're walking this way towards a cliff, Jesus says, repent. You can say, nope, and you can step off the cliff. Or you can turn around and repent and follow Jesus and his ways. Number two, be born again. It's not enough to attend church or to be a good person or even to live by this 49 commandments of Christ. That won't get you to heaven. You must be born again. Christ is very clear about that. that, That's just basically saying, Jesus, I'm taking myself off the throne. Come, be my Savior. I repent of my sins. Open your heart to a new spirit, to the Spirit of God, to come and change you from within, to give your life to him. And if you've not repented, you can be in church and not have repented and come to salvation in Christ Today is a great day to do so. Scripture says today is a day of salvation. I believe it's always a good day to get saved. Be born again. Number three, get baptized. Matthew 28, 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you are a Christian and you've not been baptized, please do so. Get baptized. I, I talked to a guy. He said, well, you know, I'm really praying about it. I'm really asking God to lead and guide if I should get baptized. And I go, you don't need to pray about it. You just, the Bible was written for you, and it says believe and be baptized. So if you're believing in Christ, you know, we talk about being led by the Spirit. And I believe that one of those ways is God puts heavy thoughts in our hearts and our minds, and he leads us and guides us. But one of the ways of being led by the Spirit is the Word of God. And if it says believe and be baptized, then believe and be baptized. We have a baptism coming up um, the date of July 14th, going to be out at a local lake here. I would love to baptize you. So if you if you've not taken that step, please do so. It's in obedience to Christ. Four, forgive. I was talking to a Christian brother. Just this last month, and he says, talking about some people he hated, he said, I've decided not to forgive them. I cringe. He's a brother in Christ. I'm never going to forgive those people. I can say very clearly that's to his detriment. Christ knows he needs to be freed from the bitterness and the, the openness. We open our heart to the enemy when we don't forgive. And I realize there's people with stories that are incredibly painful and stories and hurts that are incredibly deep. But we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And for your health, for your life, work it through, fight it through. Set your heart to forgive. Number five, love your enemies. Say, well, I don't like them. That's why they're your enemies, right? I mean, there are people, people are tough. There's people that, I'm surrounded by a whole lot of really good people. But even really good people hurt me sometimes. But there are people out there that are really bad people. People that really have done some very horrible things. And we're still called to act and to show love to those who have been against us. Love your enemies. Jesus says to them, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. Number 6, do not lust. Don't commit adultery. Lust is just a higher level of don't commit adultery. Jesus says in Matthew 5:28, I say to you everyone that looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better that you lose one of your members then your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go to hell. Jesus takes sin and lust and our sexual lives very seriously. And in our world, it has very different standards than what the scriptures would call us to. Christ continues to call us to a higher level. Never let your sexuality be seen or judged outside of the word of God. I mean, the fact I I read about this, it's really deep, is that God not only challenges our action, but he challenges our thoughts and our desires. God has created the sexual experience to be celebrated within a marriage. And adultery and fornication and pornography and all these other things outside of a marriage are not God's plan, and they're not good for you. And he knows how he designed us. God wants to be the Lord of our thoughts and even our sexual desires. It's one of his commandments. Number seven, lay up treasures in heaven. I don't know what's harder to talk from the pulpit about sex or money. Um, I'll hit them both. Money, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth. I think how much of our lives is spent laying up treasures on earth? says, don't do it. Where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. But lay up treasures for yourself in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Each of these topics, you realize, is a whole sermon in itself. So the things that I'm not saying are, forgive me. Got to forgive, right? That's, I already hit that one. Um, but on our finances, the Lord wants to be the Lord of our finances. And I don't think he's saying don't have a savings account. I do believe he's saying let your priority be the kingdom of God. Because those investments you're never going to lose. Those investments go with you when you die. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And Christ always wants our heart. He is diligent, zealous, jealous for your heart. And he doesn't want to share it with finances. He wants to be, because he wants you to invest in heaven. He knows your heart will be there as well. And Christ is desperate to be Lord of your heart. Number eight, show kindness to the poor. When you give a dinner or banquet, don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. When you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you'll be blessed because they can't repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. God has a heart and a passion for the poor. It's one of my excitements this summer that the Rwanda team and the Dominican team will be ministering to the poor in different ways in medical situations, building a house. We're a part of that through our giving. God has a passion and a heart for the poor. May that always be close to our hearts. Number nine, make disciples. He says, make disciples of all nations. And ten, await the return of Christ. In Matthew twenty four, forty four it says you must also be ready for the Son of Man's coming an hour you do not expect. There are commands that God has for us, and we're called to follow Christ, to be close to him, to be filled with the Spirit, and then as we read the scriptures, obey. Don't be over what the scriptures calls us to. Let this be our guide. And the way that we show our love for Christ is in obedience. And please hear me. The last thing I want to do is to lock us into a legalism. What I want to do is challenge us to be those who are showing our love for Christ through obeying the commands that he has for us. And the result is life for us. The result is the abundant life and the joy and the purposes that God has designed for you. The worship team can come on up. There's a little song that's older than me, and someone, Kurt would say, oh, it's pretty old. A um, little song that is called Trust and Obey. I don't need to sing it really this morning, but it just says Trust and Obey, for there's no other way To be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. I thought, you know, it's a simple little song, but I thought, you know, there's a lot of depth in this. That as we trust in Christ and make the determination to obey his commands for our life, there'll be a happiness in Jesus, a joy in Jesus that will bring us more and more into that abundant life that he has for us. So may you find the passion and the joy of obedience. Father, I thank you for our time together. God, I pray that we would have hearts that would drop the defenses, drop the fear, that we would embrace the joy of obeying you, not just as our friend, but as our Lord and our King. May that be planted in our hearts by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being here this morning. It's great to see all your smiling faces. Um, Graduates, make sure you get your gifts.